Hello, this is Peter Jonathan Robertson with the 94th episode of the PJ Archive. It's an interview I did with one of the all-time great movie stars, the American actor Tony Curtis, whose remarkable career spanned six decades and included more than 100 films, including Houdini, Trapeze, Some Like It Hot, Spartacus and The Boston Strangler. Tony Curtis died in 2010 at the age of 85. This interview took place in 1992 at his home in Los Angeles, where he was doing a lot of artwork in between hosting the documentary series Hollywood Babylon and promoting a festive TV movie directed by Arnold Schwarzenegger. Do you want to tell me a bit about that? Christmas in Connecticut. This is a remake, isn't it? I have no idea. I vaguely remember someone said that they had made it once before. Tell us a bit about your part in it and what the story's about. Uh, I'm, uh, it's boring. You've got to see the movie to be able to tell it. It's, uh, it's not that it's complicated, but uh, in my uh, short and happy uh, lifetime, I've realized that you can't verbalize things that you look at. You know, so let's talk of other things. Can we talk about Arnold Schwarzenegger yes, and his direction? Yes, a very fine man. I, you know, um, film directing is a very delicate um, uh, profession at best. But he, uh, he is a very sensitive and a very intelligent fellow. And with that intelligence uh, comes a knowledge of the human condition. And so with that in mind, he makes a wonderful director. How did you get on with him? Oh, very well. We're very, we're very good friends. Compared to other directors you've worked with, how, do, how does he compare? I would consider him the top... Well, I've made over 100 movies. I would consider him the top two or three directors I've ever worked with. That's quite a compliment. Yeah, it is. Well, it's, it's, it's not meant as a compliment. It's a reality. That's what Arnold is. Arnold is a, uh, an extraordinarily uh, sensitive man, a very perce- uh, perceptive. And, you know, and he, since uh, he has confidence as an actor in making movies... He has the ability to speak up about any subject, so it makes him very candid and honest. And that's a very uh, appealing uh, quality. But, you know, with it must come compassion. Uh, with that kind of honesty must come a uh, caring. And that's what he is, you know, a very caring man. Do you still enjoy making movies as much as you used to? Uh, you don't get tired of that, like you don't get tired of working out or eating or taking a good-looking woman out or buying a new car. You know, each day of your life brings new uh, interests and those new interests are stimulated by making movies. The first movie I made, I was as good in that movie as I was in the, uh, the one I did with Arnold. You know, just experience doesn't make you a better actor. Experience just gives you another insight to living. And uh, When I was 22, 23, I did the best job a 22, 23 year old man could do. And today I do the best job that a 65, 66 year old man could do. But are you still making as many movies as ever, or are you more picky than you were before? Uh, I don't make that many more movies now, because the parts are, uh, they, you know, stories that are made are not made with uh, men like me in mind. You know, we are usually, at this point in, uh, in films, more of the expositional, expositionist, I call them, guys that tell you what's going on because the company is too cheap to go out and shoot it, so they need someone to explain it in dialogue. I don't play those parts, you know. But the one I did with Arnold is not that kind of a role. So, But that's relative. That uh, has no bearing on my life, you know. But have you got quite a few movies lined up still like you used to? Oh, yes. There's two or three pictures that are just being prepared or 
coming into fruition, so to speak. Can you tell us anything about those movies? Uh, uh, one movie is uh, an adventure film that would take place in Europe of a man trying to re not reclaim but maintain a certain amount of agility and uh, uh, action that he was able to do earlier and, and finds himself not quite as attuned to it and coming to grips with that reality. That's one kind of a movie. Then there's a comedy that's coming up, uh, a comedy of a, uh, of a private detective that lives here in Hollywood who was also an extra and worked in movies, so he's able to impersonate different people and act as different people. So that is coming along as well. Over the years, you've done all sorts of different types of roles, yes. whether it be comedy or high drama or whatever. Which have you actually preferred, or do you like the versatility of it all? Uh, to me, there is no difference in any of it. Some you go quicker, some go slower. Some are funny, some are not. I don't in any way qualify them one way or the other. I just like the idea that I can step into different kinds of environment. But all of us can do that. All of us can be funny when we want. All of us can be tragic when we want. You know, it's a matter of a, a mindset, I think. When you look back at all the films you've done, which are a heck of a lot of films, are you satisfied with all the films you've done? More than satisfied. There isn't a movie I made that I didn't give it the best I could. Even when I made films that I had to do, uh, earn money to support my children, made no difference. I went in and did the best job I can. And I don't look back on them. I don't look back on them in, re in reflection saying, well, I could have done this, or I could have done that. That doesn't exist. That's, there's, that's, there's no such animal. Do you have a favorite amongst them? Uh, the Boston Strangler. Why is that? Uh, I like that movie. I like the character I played in an interesting, different movie. Uh, Insignificance, then did with Nick Rogue. I like that part I had in that movie. Uh, Trapeze was a favorite of mine. Some like it. But, uh, you know, I could go down the whole list of them telling each one was my favorite when I made it. Do you think you've been given credit over the years for your movie work? Uh, I don't know credit by whom, by my peers. Maybe not, but fuck them, what do they know? They know nothing. You know who knows? The paying public. You know who knows? Those people who sit at home with their clickers in their hand and watch movies, they know. What about awards? Do they mean much to you? Uh, no, not really. You know, when I wasn't nominated in those early movies for like the Boston Strangler and uh, the Defi well, I was nominated for the Defy one, but the Boston Strangler in particular, and a couple of other bits, Sweet Smell of Success, I, uh, I just cut that out of my brain. You know, the, those awards, uh, I find, uh, are uh, not valuable at all, except for some historical point of view. Doesn't it hurt you deep inside, though? Nothing hurts me deep inside. Nothing. There's only one part of my life. I have a life of a, a, a cornucopia of living. I'm a painter. I'm an author. I'm a father. I'm a lover. I got a lot of girlfriends, a lot of I know I like. I've got six children. I've got a big living experience. I own real estate. I, um, I have a number of businesses that are functioning. I like to travel. I go to museums. You know, there's so many wonderful things in this living experience. And movie, movie making is the least of them. Not the least of them, but one of ten. You know, and that's the way I've geared my life. If the movies were the only thing I lived for, I would be devastated. You would die in this community, you know. You'd be checking to see if your name was in the trade papers or what part you were going to get, who was going to get. But you can't live like that, you know. You cannot. I can't. So my life is a uh, like my home, you know. It's a many splendid experience, you know. And it's in this environment that I function. Nonetheless, people will always remember you and know you for your film work best of all. Does that Perhaps. annoy you a little bit? 
Why would it annoy me? I mean, you know, no one's had a better career than I have. No one's made a more variety of films than I have. No one. I don't know of any actor that's made the variety of films that I have, that have worked with the, the players that I have worked with, uh, have worked with these directors that I've worked with the best of this profession and gave them the best. So I, uh, <laughs> I don't need... Uh, I don't need Liz Smith, or I don't need uh, uh, Rona Barrett, or I don't need who, who else. Uh, I just don't need anybody to tell me how good or bad I've been and what their opinions are, you know. Who have been your favorite co-stars over the years, whether it be male or female? Oh, uh, Burt Lancaster. Marilyn was a favorite of mine. She was a lovely woman. We had an up-and-down relationship, but everybody has an up-and-down. That doesn't. Uh, Jack Lemmon, a very wonderful person. Uh, Natalie Wood. There isn't one player that I worked with, that I didn't get the best out of them. Now, Jack Lemmon and, and Marilyn Monroe, obviously you worked with in Some Like It Hot, which yes. is probably the film which most people remember you best by. No, that's not true. People remember me for a lot of films. It's one of the most popular films, perhaps, you know. What are your memories of that film? Do you have any particular anecdote from that film? Uh, not really. There was a time when Jack and I, I would drag him in the ladies' rooms to see if our makeup was working properly, and then I took Marilyn once into a ladies' room to have her tell me if I was fooling the girls in the bathroom when they were looking at me funnily or not. Talking of drag, I mean, that was the big thing. It was quite a revolutionary thing to do, wasn't it, to dress up in drag in those days? Well, you know, we weren't, uh, I wasn't uh, dragging. I wasn't, uh, you know, I was dressed as a woman and played the part of a woman. You know, to me, it was a very, uh, very personal experience. I had to escape from somebody who was trying to kill me, and the only way I could do it was to convince him that I was a woman. So I couldn't go swishing around. I had to be very, very careful and delicate in the playing of that role. How did you first meet Marilyn Monroe? I met Marilyn years before in 1950 when I, I'd been in California two years then. She was trying to get a contract at one of the studios. We went out for a little while. She was an interesting and a very sweet woman. It's a tragedy she died so young. She didn't have to, but, you know, her personal life was so disruptive. She was such an unhappy woman in so many ways and uh, used so much alcohol and substance abuse that it just made her life unhappy, you know. She couldn't find any joy. If you ever look at that photograph of her bedroom that she died in, this was the, <laughs> the goddess of the 60s, uh, you know, considered one of the most beautiful women in the world living in a shambled little room somewhere. Where were all these people that would profess to be her friends? Where were the, uh, the actor's studio people? Where were all these great chums of hers? Were you a friend with her till, till she died? Uh, yes, we, uh, yeah, we, we didn't see each other the last couple. You've got, you've got to remember that uh, friendship in the film industry is a unique one, you know? Uh, you meet on the set or you meet at parties. Occasionally, you reach out into a more of a social relationship. But that's the extent of it, and that's more than enough. It's more than enough for a lot of friendships. There are a lot of guys and women that I know that I only see occasionally on the set, you know? You mentioned the sort of aspects like, like drug and drinks, which, which bring stars down very often. Why do you think that is the case? No, it doesn't, it doesn't pick on stars any more than it picks on anybody. Alcohol and drug abuse is a disease syndrome, and it's not a matter of lack of character or the fact that you're famous or you're poor or you're miserable or you're happy has nothing to do with it, you know? 
Nonetheless, a lot of very gifted people do turn to... But only like gifted that. because you heard about them. What about the gifted people you never heard about? What about the countless millions of really gifted people all around the world that you never know are buried under the heap of anonymity that uh, uh, painters and artists and beautiful women and uh, uh, charming men, uh, writers, directors, producers, could they could have been all of that and they're not here. Why do we pick... Uh, I, I, I take an umbrage, not an umbrage, but I, I take a special look at it. I don't believe that the industry creates this problem that is in us all. The profession didn't uh, have its effect on Marilyn. That was Marilyn's character who couldn't survive it. She would probably have died much earlier had she not been famous. Did, did you find you fell victim to some of the vices of Hollywood and its glamour? Well, I don't call them vices of Hollywood. Hollywood had nothing to do with it. I don't call it a vice. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm a recovering alcoholic and a drug abuse person. And that's the way I look at it, you know, and that's the way I, I live my life. I live my life. I, I, I am the program. There was a play once called I Am a Camera. I am the program. I live the program. And that's the way I, you know, behave in my lifetime. What is it that's helped you to recover, to bring you out of that phase? Uh, a will to survive and not die. You know, there was a time when it looked as if uh, I was at the end of my ropes, you know. And what I, stage was that? Oh, that was a number of years ago. I'm eight years now in my recovery. It was a period in my life where things... I just didn't enjoy any part of my living experience, you know. One made the other more intense and consequently both built up inside of you. So your social life, your professional life, your um, mental life, your fantasy life, your reality life, all suffer and they just burn and... You're left not a hulk of what you are, but you're left with no ambition, no desire to carry on. And it takes a bit of doing to re, uh, you know, recycle your life. Imagine a checker game, and your opponent has 12, and you have just one left. It's like a checkmate. It's like chess, in a sense, you know? Mate means you're dead, right? No way out of there. Checkmate. Checkmate is, someone says, you are checkmate. You look around and you may still have a few options. You know. What do you think took you in there in the first place? The pressures of no, the work no, or just... No, 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 that's all bullshit. No pressures of uh, Hollywood, no pressures of life, nothing. It's inexorable. It just builds up in you. When Marilyn finally died, she died of an overdose of 35 years of unnatural and difficult behavior in a living experience. Her car was set in a certain direction and it was nothing anyone could do to change it. She had tried to demise earlier. You know, nothing was going to change that. And that's where your life begins. You know, it is not uh, so dramatic with a Q-U-E that, you know, uh, because she doesn't look at you properly, you decide to jump off a roof. It's got nothing to do with it. That's, that's only a symptom. You know, suicide is only a symptom of a of a, a life uh, that's disrupted, you know, and I, I do not in any way, any way blame Hollywood, ex-wives, friends, failure of fortune, uh, a disrupted uh, whatever. Uh, they are not to me anything other than little symptoms that the seed of destruction is in all of us, you know, and the beat goes on, you know, 22 minutes later you're gone.
it's foolish to uh, end your life at 35 because it's going to end at 85. And you're going to tell me 50 years makes a difference one way or the other? Not necessarily. You know, Fossils don't even get a chance to get turned gray in 50 years. You seem to have come out a much stronger and, and wiser man. Would you agree with that? Well, uh, I was always an intelligent person, you know, but I was very erratic in my emotional uh, behavior, you know, and it's taken my recovery and it's taken my search of myself, you know, to examine it and open it all out to the sun and weed out all those little worms that were wiggling inside of me. You can't weed it all out because we still, we're only human. Nobody's perfect. You've come out a more stable and mellow man. Well, I don't know how stable that is. You know, I'm still as erratic as I used to be. That's not changed. What's, what's changed is I have a, uh, a much better fix at my life and my living experience, you know. I can look at you guys and, you know, I, I feel at ease. I feel comfortable. I don't feel uh, rattled and nervous as I used to as a young man. And I was a lot, you know, my career. I, you know, I just got off the subway and somebody put me in the movies. I went from a dollar and a half a day to fifteen hundred a day a week. You know, that was a big transition. And for the first four or five years it was all fucked up, you know? You still enjoy a very exciting and unpredictable life though. I do, I do, and I keep it that way, you know? And it's a very sane and a very proper living experience. You know, as a recovering person, I, I make very little um, plans. As a recovering person I live you know, the, the recovering motto is living one day at a time. I live one blink at a time, you know? Unless I have to, I will make a date for later on in the week. Only if I have to. I certainly don't make it later than that. If I have something to do that my, my dear friend Dale organizes it for me, and somebody tells me a week or so before, by the way, you bet, maybe you're leaving next week. And, you know, that's for those kind of days. But rest of it, you know, like we met the other night, you know, that's why we're here. You know, I wouldn't have done it any other way, you know? Are your family quite a stabilizing influence on you? Is my family? Not at all. They never were. My home life that I came out of wasn't. Those early, those early uh, marriages of mine with my children, they were stabilizing only because I was working very hard and I was raising a family, you know? They were okay, you know, I'm not knocking it, but I guess I'm not that family-oriented type person. How has your relationship with your children changed over the years? Well... You would have to ask them. I, my feelings toward them has not changed. You know, as they get older and they get out of the influence of their mother, they begin to see me in a much more logical sense. It's like, it's like coming out of a fog and say, oh, that's what it's like. You know, when they were living with their mothers, uh, what could they think except what they heard from their mother and their mother-in-laws? Do you see a lot of yourself in them? In my children? Uh, yes, I do. I see a little bit in each one of my children. Every one of my six children, there's a, a little sliver of me of some kind. But I dare say I'd see that in every child I'd ever meet. So, <laughs> What about in Jamie Lee? What do you see in her? Uh, I'd see in Jamie Lee her, her humor, and that's part of me. Also, uh, somewhat cynical, I see that in me. You must be very proud of her success. I'm proud of all my children. Not one child of mine is, gets more pride from me than the other. That's the way I maintain my, my love for my children. Her success is something she has to deal with. You know, and I mean that in a very logical sense. Success is an extremely difficult thing to uh, behave and handle. And Jamie does it uh, with a, a very uh, nice way. And my other children handle their lives in a very nice way. My daughter Kelly, an actress, having a very difficult time trying to you know, provoke a career. But she does it with grace 
other daughter runs runs a theater group in uh, Tampa, Florida. She's like their managing director, runs the box office and that. Very intelligent young woman. She has twins, and, and uh, she runs her life in a very compassionate way, you know. How often do you see them all? Uh, there are no set patterns, you know. We speak a lot on the phone, and then every now and then we get together. You know, and then I have two sons living back east and another daughter living in Honolulu. So with that nice diversity of family, I'm, uh, I have a nice time. Are you disappointed about the fact that you haven't been able to hold down a marriage for good, as it were? Oh, no, as a matter of fact, I'm happy I didn't. I've never been so happy in my life as I am now. I'm out of the slammer. I've paid my debt to society, you know? I wouldn't want to be married now. To what do you attribute the fact that you haven't stayed married? Uh, I don't attribute it to anything, you know? As a matter of fact, uh, I'm very jaundiced of any marriage that lands 30, 40 years. Something's wrong somewhere, you know? We're so individual, each one of us is so different that our interests are always changing. And why should we allow laws to tell us that we cannot change, you know? You don't seem to be a person with any regrets at all. You always look on the positive side. I, I have no regrets. I, I, I can't think of anything I've done that I would be regretful over, you know? I would be foolish if I thought like that. Are you a man who falls in love a lot or who has fallen? Every 20 minutes. <laughs> In fact, uh, hopefully in a couple of hours I'll be in love again. <laughs> Have you had affairs with many of your leading actresses? Or is that uh, uh, yes, a considerable amount. Can you name some, or is it all? Not particularly. <laughs> Do you like the, having a reputation as a bit of a playboy? I don't know what that means. I don't know, you know. I'm just the man I am, you know. I, I live the way I live. Reputations are only based on uh, other people's perceptions, you know. Can you see anyone tying you down again? In a manner of speaking. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, the coin of phrase. Uh, perhaps, maybe, one day, maybe not, you know. But again, like I told you how my, my living experience is, that's the way it is about relationships. And the same way I feel about the movies. Just one minor part in my, my palette of living, you know. Do you still enjoy the same sort of things that you enjoyed when you were a lad? Uh, absolutely. There's very little change. You know, uh, this is my home. That silver car is my car outside. And barring those two items, uh, and the fact that they were built now, uh, there's very little change in my life. Now, we're hearing a lot about your art now, but in yes. fact, you've been, you've been an artist all your life, haven't all you? I've painted, I've made these boxes, these assemblages, yes. How did that come about? Where did that start? To paint? Yeah. I, I had to express myself as a boy that way. You know? I Why? couldn't do it verbally. I didn't have a, enough of a language command. I didn't have a, uh, as, much as, uh, as much of an education. All I had, really, was the ability to, uh, you know, visualize things. So I started to paint and started to collect and make boxes. Where did the boxes come from? Because to most people, that's quite an unusual sort of hobby. Maybe it is. I don't find it so. I find it another way of expressing myself, taking unrelated objects and putting them together and having them create a mystery as they are, you know. There are a lot of things uh, to writing of poetry is uh, writing words and thoughts, uh, uh, painting, and a lot of ways to express ourselves. Do you still have many boxes or paintings that you did when you were a child? Oh, yes, I have. Well, I, I, the only ones, I, I have some that I made about 35 years ago. And then if I look around, I'll find some drawings I've got. I've got some early boxes somewhere, you know. 
but it's all there. I feel like Citizen Kane. Only I'm going to go through my stuff before I die. When did you sell your first painting or box? About six years ago, seven years ago. I went to a gallery and they exhibited my paintings and sold some. So, How did you feel when you were first asked to exhibit? I was very pleased at that. You know, if I didn't do that, I'd be, you wouldn't be able to walk in this house. There'd be little paths. Everything would be just crammed with painting. And the only thing that encourages, encourages you to paint more is the fact that people want to have them. You know, and uh, this gallery people came to me, and when I saw what I, uh, how happy it would make me to sell my paintings, that people would buy them and frame them and hang them in their homes, I went ahead and did it. Now, the cynics would say, I suppose, yes. you know, he's only a successful artist because of who he is. How do you feel? What, what's well, I'll give that? anybody an autograph. I draw sketches all over the place. I mean, you know, if uh, you think because my signature is on a painting, uh, that's the reason they buy it, uh, I don't know anybody would buy a painting like that for $35,000 to get my signature, you know, but yet they do. Do you look upon your paintings like your films almost, as achievements in their own little right? Uh, in a sense, they are, yes, they are. They represent a p point in my life, and, you know, and uh, I rather find it appealing to express myself this way. Does painting and making boxes satisfy you as much as acting? Uh, more so. Acting is not a satisfying profession. Is this because it's your own creation rather than it's reading not, us? It's not. You're in the hands of uh, 60, 70 people, you know? And unless you own the company and own the camera and own the film, you know, you really have very little to say about it. You're only a contributor. When you paint, you're not. You know, when I make my boxes, I'm not. When I write, I'm not. Are you surprised when people want to buy your paintings? Not at all. I think they're beautiful. I love them. If I had the money, I'd buy one. Is it a bit sort of um, like losing a child when somebody buys one takes one away? Not at all. I'll just make another one. I'm a great fucker. I go from one picture to another. I paint every day. Do you have a favorite painting that you've done? Rather like a favorite? Uh, there are a number. number. The ones you see hanging around the house now are, are favorites, but they're only temporary favorites. Another 80 paintings there. And got some in the garage, you know. Well, every painting that I do, each painting, gets its own personal signature from me. You know, each box. Nothing is done by rote. Nothing is done by, I gotta get a painting out. Nothing. You know, all of a sudden I find that energy that I need to do a painting from the day before, whatever impulses I've received help me organize it, and they, I, I just paint them. And I don't paint them, they paint themselves. They have a way of painting themselves, you know? Where and when do you paint? I paint in the mornings, in the sunlight. Not today, of course, but I paint outside by my garage. i got a set up there. I like the idea that I can paint like that. Some days I'll take my easel and my set of paints and two canvases and I'll, I'll hike up the hill here. That doesn't mean I'm going to paint a landscape. You know, when I go out and do that, I'll paint, uh, I'll paint something like this. I'll paint uh, a kind of a still life. So, you know, I don't need uh, models. I've got enough models in my brain now. What do people say when they pass you by on the roadside and there's Tony? Hi, Tony. <laughs> paint me, paint me. Paint my car, paint my house. Uh, as we've said, I mean, you've made a, a very great deal of money from, from your artwork. I mean, what do you do with it? Do you invest your money, or do you find you spend a lot? Uh, I do what everybody else does with money. Spend it. Put a little away for a rainy day like today. You know, the rest of it I've got uh, a number of things put away for my children. You know? You, you've always been a bit of a big spender. Yes, and I, and I, I like to share my wealth with. Uh, 
you tell us a bit more about your charity work, or is it not something you well, want to Well, it's not a charity work so much, you know. There's a couple of uh, homeless environments in the city here that uh, I'll go down and give a check or cash every now and then, you know. I, uh, I help out in uh, recovery centers. I, uh, I give uh, seminars and lectures, if not lectures, for recovering people, you know. I help in that area. When you do spend on yourself, what sort of things do you like to treat yourself to? Uh, I like cars and clothes. Tell me about your favorite cars or what you've got. Well, I have the Mitsu now, the Mitsubishi 3000. I've got a Buick Rayada in the garage. You know, I'm middle of this year. I'm planning a new car. I don't know what it's going to be. I travel a lot. I like to travel. That is more uh, appealing to me than anything. You know. What's your favorite country? Do you I have like to go to France. I like to go to England. I like Europe very much. In England, we always remember you for the persuaders, yes. amongst other things. Was that a time you particularly look back on with pleasure? Uh, with great pleasure. I made some wonderful friends there. Roger Moore and my, all my English chums. I bought a home and lived in 49 Chester Square for a long time. You know, my boy Nicholas was born in London. He was born December 31st, just two hours before the new year. Had he been born the new year, the first child, the Queen of England would have sent him a, a cable saying, Welcome to England, as the first baby. What about, uh, you mentioned clothes earlier on. Um, you've often been voted sort of best-dressed man, that sort of thing. Is that well, something that's that's that was a long time ago, and that was all a scam. All those best-dressed, best-looking, best-actors, it's, uh, it's all a scam, my friend. It's all a ram and a scam and a jam, you know. Award you with something, you just take it with good grace, and that's the end of it, you know. Does vanity play a part in your life, though? My middle name is Vanity. In fact, it should have been Vanity Curtis. Are you still enjoying this phase of your life as much as before, or perhaps even more so than I before? love this time much more than I do the earlier part, you know? I'm not as stressed out, and I have no anxieties, you know? It's because of my recovery. Do you, are you not anxious about getting old and the passing of time? Uh, I have uh, no uh, reflections on it at all. But I'm, I'm privileged, you know? Because you keep yourself in very good shape, don't yes, you? I do, but I've always done that. I'm not doing it now more than before, you know? But I'm lucky, you know? came from a f family of good genes, Jordash genes, Levi genes, you know. You know so I'm, I'm privileged, I'm really privileged. I lost that for a while, I, I forgot that, but now in retrospect as I look at it, I realize how very, very lucky I am, that who I am and what I am. Do you play sports a lot? Do you keep fit, that sort of thing? Uh, I work out in the gym. Arnold uh, Schwarzenegger organized my life at his gym in Santa Monica. I'm down there three days a week. So you could be the next Terminator, then? I could be the next Terminator, right, yes. Are there any roles that you still want to play? Are there a great deal? Uh, no. I tell you, as I, as I drive down the highway of life, right, there may be a right turn and a left turn. I'll let those things determine what kind of a part I'll play, you know? But to think of a guy, a character, uh, there's nobody I see that, uh, you know, I want to be Ralph Nader or I want to be Prince Philip make me Queen Victoria, you know. I hope not. <laughs> yeah, I hope not, too. Have you always been one who's left his life to fate, or have you always been quite ambitious and wanted... Uh, I, uh, I don't believe in fate, or destiny, or tarot cards, or psychics, or astrology, you know. I don't. That's, uh, there's nothing wrong with them, but I, I feel life is for the living, and that living experience needs your energies. You create the chances in your life. If you want to call it good luck and bad luck, okay. But you create those chances, you know. And the seeds that you sow, you know, 
in wanting certain things in your life, you'll get eventually down the road, and they, then, then you can reap them, you know? So that's the way, to, that's the way I feel is a wonderful, logical way to live a life. Are you glad you were born when you were, or would you like to be a young lad in Hollywood now? Oh, no, 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 no. I don't uh, play those games in my head. You know? Do you think it's a good time to start out in Hollywood? Uh, Any time's a good time. I'd start out anything. When I was 20, I had no idea what it would be like to be 30. How old are you, may I ask? 28? 31. You have no idea what it's going to be to be 35. You just have no idea. You can fantasize it. You can, you know, project in your head, oh, I know what I'm going to look. Maybe if my father's lost some hair, I'll lose hair and my will gets heavier. And uh, But you can't. It's a jerk off. Jerk me off in Macy's window. It means it has no validity. There's no way you can project yourself any further than where you are now, you know. What do you think of today's young stars? Uh, you see, it's hard to determine that because of the parts that actors play. Uh, Sylvester Stallone goes out and does 15 Rambos, 37 uh, Rockies. You know, he doesn't get much of a chance to experiment in a lot of parts. Uh, in the first 10 years of my life, I went from uh, stevedore to doctor to lawyer to Indian. To, you know, the first, first 10 years of my life in movies, from 48 to 58, I went from a woman to a Pima Indian and all of those people in between. See, there's a difference. Today, there are, number one, the, ma the major studios don't function like that. Universal used to make 35, 38, 40 pictures a year. Every studio did. And if there were eight or 10 studios, that was four, 500 movies a year. You know, there isn't anywhere near that amount of movies made now. So you're not one of these people that looks at the screen and thinks, well, things ain't what they used to be. No, no not really, you know. Stories, are different now because our knowledge is different. You know, we're a lot, we're a lot open, more open now. You know, when I was in, I've got a post of Some Like It Hot. It says recommended for adult audiences. If you look at Some Like It Hot, what? It's because men dressed up as women, because Marilyn wore a dress where you could see her nipples. Uh, is that what you call adult entertainment? I mean, today they'd laugh at you. Today, if it isn't explicit, it's uh, it's GP. So you know, everything is changed. We're not naive anymore. You see, there's a difference. You know, in my lifetime, my short and happy life, uh, I've gone from uh, from um, radio to air conditioning, television to AIDS to uh, uh, to the moon and back again. You know, I mean, our whole concept, computers, has changed. So look at the effect it must have on people. If you could start that life again, would you do much the same sort of thing? You keep asking me that question, and I'm going to not answer it because there is no. I don't even reflect on that. I don't. Now, talking about the way Hollywood was before, you've been narrating Hollywood Babylon recently. Yes. Can you tell me a bit about that experience? Well, Hollywood Babylon is a book uh, written by a man named Kenneth Anger. And uh, uh, the book recounts a lot of Hollywood tragedies. To me, uh, I'm not going to call it Hollywood Babylon. To me, it's uh, nobody's perfect. You know, it's a reflection on Hollywood. We're going to take a compassionate look at what the Hollywood environment is about. Quite a controversial book, though. Were you upset I by I don't it? think so. I don't find it controversial at all. How no. true to life was it? Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, uh, you read it, and, uh, you know, there are, there are records you can find on these people, and it depends on the veracity and the intelligence of the people that are putting it together, whether you get the truth or not, you know? But there are still a lot of projects that um, you're looking to do that uh, people aren't coming up with, perhaps, script-wise? Um, are you writing any of your, any of your own? Uh, no, no. I'm, I'm going to probably... Uh, my autobiography this year, and that's being organized now, you know, now that I've got everything together and I'm feeling
Is that going to reveal quite a few things about you which perhaps we didn't know before? Uh, well, it, I'm going to give you an insight and a look at what it was like when I was a boy being raised in New York City in the 30s in New York, which was a, a jungle unto itself, a unique and interesting place as immigrants came to America, you know. And I, I want to trace that in very delicately so all of us will maybe get a glimmer of what life was like in those days, those early days in Hollywood. I wanted to ask you about living in Los Angeles, how long you've lived here and whether you think you'll always live here. Los Angeles, uh, for me, is a very important city now. More so than it was in the 50s and the 60s, you know. The city was struggling then for its own identity. All it was known for was the Hollywood scene. It's not that anymore, you know. It's really diversified now. Not diversified in a lot of professions as much in the way of living. People all walks of life can live in this city now, you know, and it's huge. So I find Los Angeles now really about as nice a place as I would like to live. I much prefer to a city like, um, for example, uh, a city like New York, which would be very difficult to live in, you know, it's so confined and closeted. Have you got homes in various places? Uh, I have a home in Honolulu. I have a home here. Do you seem at home anywhere, practically? I mean, well, trouble. Uh, I've never, you know... I, when I was a kid, I used to fight that. I wanted that home uh, status and that home symbol, you know. The thought of getting up and going somewhere frightened me. I hated it. That's because uh, I don't know why. But, but now I, I've come to grips with the reality that this is my life. Traveling and you, being single is my life, you know. Do you think you'll always stay in Los Angeles then? I, I think so. Well, up until about 1 o'clock today. <laughs> I can't make much of a move before that. Till the bailiffs arrive, huh? Yeah, right. <laughs> Have you got any interesting neighbors around here? Any of your fellow stars live around here? I don't know. I don't buy those from the movie star maps, so I don't know where they live. Do you see much of your fellow um, acting colleagues? No, not too many. Who, who are your friends in the industry? Uh, Kirk Douglas is a friend of mine, Bert Lancaster, but he's been very ill, so I don't see much of him now. Everybody, I'm, listen, I'm friendly with everybody. You know, when I have the time, I see them. Evenings, uh, you know. Once in a while, I run across them during the day at some restaurant or in a shopping mall. But usually, I uh, I meet them only at prescribed parties that are given. Do you like all those old tributes they give to sort of long-standing stars? Uh, no, I don't. I don't like those at all. You know, they wait until you die before they say something nice about you. you know, they wait until you're all crippled up to give you an award. I won't get it. I won't take it. I mean, it's okay, but that's not, that doesn't interest me, you know? Do you think you'll ever retire? Uh, well, uh, that's a difficult question to answer because uh, when you say retire, I'm wondering what I would retire from. I'm living my life full and steady now. Uh, retire from films, retire from painting, retire from just living. I think that would only happen if I got ill and couldn't move around. But then I'd find other ways to leave your lover. There are 50 ways to do everything. Do you think as the future uh, continues now that you'll progress more as an artist than as an actor? Uh, I, I don't give either one any more uh, credence than the other, do you know? I just may decide uh, to just travel now for the next few years. I've been thinking of maybe going to Paris and paint for a year and a half, you know? And I may do those very things. I may decide to write, uh, develop a film on my own, you know? I don't have to sit around and wait for somebody, somebody to give me a going to England again. Mm -hmm. Do you have any plans? Uh, hopefully at the end of this year. Maybe, no, not even, maybe around September.
Do you have any plans to work on the West End stage again? Uh, no, I never worked at the West End. I was never in the theatre. Have you never fancied that? No, not at all. I, I get, and each year it's, a biz, I won't say bizarre, but you know, first year they said they submitted a play, and then the next year they submitted another play. Then the, after the third and fourth year, they submitted a, an empty, a blank play. They say, write in the play you want. Finally, they'd say that I could, I could play anything I wanted to. You know, do. They wanted me to go do those love letters. Oh, yeah. I said, I'd do it only if Jack Lemmon played the other part. They, they said they didn't think it could work out. I was going to ask you about the critics and things, whether you ever read your criticisms over the years. Or... Uh, do I? I read no criticism. Because critics know absolutely nothing. You know, they have no basis in fact. So How can you judge a movie? How can anybody judge anything? You know? How can someone who has never made a movie tell Willy Billy Wilder what he thinks is good and bad. It just, uh, the logic is out of sync. What's the best compliment you've ever been paid? Uh, the best compliment I've ever been paid? What time is it? I can't remember all of them. They're so good. I don't remember being paid in a car. Oh, I remember one in London, as a matter of fact, about three years ago, walking down the street, and this woman saw me and stopped. She said, you're the handsomest man I've ever seen in my life. She was a woman about 65 or so. That, to me, was a great compliment. And a good-looking woman, well, uh, you know, well turned out and everything. The handsomest man I've ever seen. I said, whoo, hallelujah. What's your greatest wish for the future now? Uh, just to stay healthy, really. You know, stay healthy and enjoy these years that I have. You know, be kind to my friends. Have them be kind to me. In the dim and distant future, when somebody writes an epitaph for you, what would you like them to say? Uh, nobody's perfect or I'm not available. I'm Peter Jonathan Robertson. If you'd like to comment on this or any of my other interviews in the PJ Archive, you can find me on Twitter, at PeterJonathanR2. You're welcome to join me on there. Thank you for listening.